0: Well, hello, I am Jay, if I haven't met you before, and glad that you're tuning in today. You know, we've been getting a lot of really nice snowfalls here in Thunder Bay over the last number of weeks, and the sun has been shining, it's been reflecting off of the snow, it's been really, really beautiful. And I must admit, though, there have been a number of times when I go out to my car, it's covered in snow, and I need to brush it off and scrape off the windows, get rid of the frost, and I do kind of a rush job, I get going, I pull out of the driveway, I get out on the road, and I realize I really can't see very well. And so I have to pull over, get back out, rebrush, re-scrape, so that I can actually see well before I, I drive. Otherwise, it's really dangerous. Now, can any of you identify with that? Have any of you pulled out maybe a little too quickly out of the driveway before the car is totally clean If you have, it's confession time, uh, let us know in the chat. We'd love to hear. You know, the beautiful thing about the internet is you can always find someone worse than you. And I recently came across this story of someone who took this same idea to the next level. He was pulled over by police after traveling 50 kilometers an hour down the road, and his car looked more like this. Now... Apparently, this guy was in a real rush and only cleared a quarter of the windshield before driving out, but his car was loaded with snow. And the police officer who pulled this guy over was later interviewed, and he said this. He said, I was taken aback by the excuse the driver gave for leaving his car's windshield almost completely covered with heavy snow. The driver said, I left the snow on my windshield, but don't worry. I move the seat forward and I can see over it. This is a true story, uh, as unbelievable as it may seem, and the driver was subsequently fined for his actions. But snow on a car window when you're driving can be really dangerous. You are fooling yourself if you think that you can safely make it to where you're going without really being able to see. We've been in this sermon series over the past few weeks entitled, Who Does He Think He Is?, looking at statements Jesus makes about himself in the Gospel of John. And throughout John, Jesus repeatedly says, I am. And then he follows that up with a statement. I am the Messiah. I am the living water. And today we're looking at the statement, I am the light of the world, that comes to us from the ninth chapter in the Gospel of John. And in our text today, we see as Jesus makes this statement about himself that he is the light of the world, that some people's eyes are opened and they can see, and others start to go blind. So, hear these words from John 9. As Jesus went along, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who has sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And after Jesus says this, he spits into the dust and starts to make some mud with his saliva. And not only does he make mud with his spit, but he takes that mud and he begins to smear it on the eyes of the blind man, and then he tells him to go and wash it off. Well, the blind man goes and does this. He does as he is told, and he comes home seeing. We're told that the Pharisees, or the religious leaders, the religious insiders of the day, now begin this investigation. Into the healing of the blind man. They simply can't accept this good news that now someone who was blind can now see. So they brought to the Pharisees the man who'd been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was the Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. A second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, and now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? He's being a little sarcastic, and obviously this makes them very angry. Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that, that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that's remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this, they replied, you were steeped in sin sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man said, tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, as we listen to this text and turn our attention to you, we pray that through your Holy Spirit, you would open our eyes that we would hear and see exactly what you want us to see and hear. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, what happens when you encounter Jesus in your life? What happens? As our text today shows two parallel stories, one of two things happen. Either you gain sight or you lose it. Either you walk in the light or you stumble in the dark. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, we have a choice to respond by either walking in that light or stumbling in the dark. The story asks us today, what choice will you make? Who will you be? So let's take a look at that first point, walking in the light. As Jesus and his disciples travel through Jerusalem, Jesus takes notice of this blind man, and we are told that he's been like this from birth. He has never seen. Just imagine what that would be like. I know what it's like when I wake up in the night and I have to use the washroom and it's dark in my room, and I can barely find my way from my bed to the bathroom. I stumble around in the dark. Can you imagine how how difficult it would be to live your whole life in the dark? And you know what? Maybe there are some of you listening today who are actually blind and you know exactly what this is like. I have a hard time imagining it. You know, during the last couple of years, uh, all of us have been wearing masks. We've been putting these things on as we head into stores and as we move into public places, even into our auditorium at the church. And you know what happens to me when I put this thing on? immediately, my glasses fog up, right? I walk into the grocery store. I try to breathe really softly, not deeply. I try to pinch the mask so it won't allow any uh, any of my breath to go up into my glasses. But inevitably, my glasses fog. And then I take off my glasses and I start to walk around. And guess what? It's no better, right? I, I can't see with my glasses on. And I can't see with my glasses off. I know many of you who wear glasses experience the same thing day in and day out. Well, the disciples asked Jesus this question about what they see. Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And it was a common belief in the day that sickness, if you were sick, it was the experience you were having as a direct result of some sort of sin in your life. Well, people of the day tend to think it's a little like a moral slot machine. You you put in a coin, whether good or bad, and you pull the slot machine down, and then you wait. And out comes either blessing or punishment. But Jesus, at least in this case, simply says the blindness occurred so that the works of God might be displayed in this guy. And then Jesus does something curious. He clears his throat. and he hawks a loogie into the dust, and then he bends down, and he makes mud and pulls it up onto his hand. It's very curious. You know, I I love historical religious art. Uh, Bernini, Michelangelo, Rualt, uh, Rembrandt, all of these people. And I've seen lots of art around the world. It's been a great gift to me. I've seen Jesus carrying lambs on his shoulder, I've, I've seen him uh, paintings of him healing lame people, I've seen him knocking on the door, all of these famous artworks. But I have never seen, and maybe they exist, but I've never seen a picture of Jesus spitting and making mud. I, I just haven't seen it. The act, to me, doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. We read in other places in Scripture where Jesus simply commands someone to be healed, and they're healed. No mud, no spit. But today, Jesus spits, makes mud, smears it on the eyes of this blind man, and tells him to go and wash it in the pool of Siloam, this water that's nearby. And Scripture doesn't give us all the details of what's going on for this blind man, but simply records that he went, he washed, he washed, And he came home seeing. That must be one of the most understated statements in the Gospel of John. He went and washed and came home seeing. Can you imagine that? Put yourself in his shoes for a moment. He has never seen the sunrise over Lake Superior, or the fall colors on the Northwestern Mountains, or Kakabeka Falls in spring runoff, or the faces of his loved ones. He's never seen the new Spider-Man movie like I know some of you have. If you were blind, if you went blind, what is one thing that you would desperately miss seeing? What, What would that be? Think about that for a moment and write it in the chat. I'd love to see what that is for you. What stands out to me about this this blind man in our passage today is his simple trust and openness to the action and invitation of Jesus in his life. He doesn't seem to question Jesus. Wait, why the pool of Siloam or Jesus? Why did you spit and make mud? Couldn't you do it a different way? Or even why now? Why not 10 years ago, Jesus? Why not 10 years ago? He simply trusts does what Jesus says, and now he can see for the very first time in his life. Jesus breaks through this man's physical blindness, but something else is happening in this story. Jesus is breaking through his spiritual blindness. The man begins a journey towards spiritual healing. He starts to walk toward the light, there's a progression that begins in the man's life. He progressively starts to see spiritually. His eyes are opened. And when he's questioned later by the religious authorities called the Pharisees in verse 11, we hear the blind man refer to Jesus as the man. And then he, as he's further questioned later on, he says Jesus is a prophet. There's a progression happening. He's moving toward Jesus Spiritually. There's a real change occurring in this story. And for many of us listening today, I think this is where we get stuck. We recognize Jesus as an amazing man and possibly an amazing prophet. And for many of us, uh, the son of God. But I wonder, do we progressively walk toward Jesus, the light of the world? Are we doing that in our life? You know, the Pharisees, in contrast um, to this question, they cast doubt on the blind man's healing. They harass him. They badger him relentlessly until in verse 38, the formerly blind man states this. He says, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus, the light of the world, breaks through spiritual blindness. The man grows in his understanding of Jesus and his commitment to him. And to believe in Jesus is to follow with your whole life, with everything you've got. And is this true of you today? Is Jesus breaking through your spiritual blindness? Is the trajectory of your life toward him, toward the light of the world? Today we witness one man who sees the light literally and begins to follow the light of the world, Jesus. But there are some who resist. There's a parallel story happening that forms our second point, stumbling in the dark. In our passage, there are the Pharisees, the religious people. And before we get too critical of these people, for many of us listening today, we, I, am the religious person. I'm trying to follow God as I understand But these Pharisees, these are the teachers of the law. They know the scriptures inside and out. And here's a man who's blind. A miracle has occurred. Someone who could never see now sees. And what do they do? They throw a party, right? They're so excited. No, they're ticked off because Jesus healed on the Sabbath, this day of rest that God gives the people of God. Making mud with your spit, that's clearly work. That's cultivating the ground, and in this tradition, for them, that's wrong. It doesn't matter that a blind man can now see they're breaking the Sabbath. This guy can see, for the first time, a sunrise, fall colors, waterfalls, the faces of his loved ones. And they can't, these religious people can't see the miracle. They simply see a broken rule. Talk about missing the point. It's amazing to me how a religion about love can turn into people loving the religion. You can love your religion more than you can love people. It's true. The Pharisees used the law of Moses to lay a heavy burden on the people of God. It was crushing to them. There's no joy in the Pharisees, these religious people. There's blame. You know, I have a friend of mine who tells the story of his grandparents as they emigrated to Canada in 1930. They moved to a small farming community in the prairies, and sometime after they arrived, his grandmother became sick. In fact, she became deathly ill. And they were a good Catholic family. And because they were a good Catholic family, they invited the local priest to come and pronounce the last rites. This woman was on her deathbed my friend's grandfather was desperate. How on earth could he make it in this new land without his wife? How could he raise all of these kids without their mother? He had heard about this traveling evangelist, a person who prayed for the sick, who was nearer to where they lived, and he was desperate. So he went to the Pentecostal church and received prayer from this man for healing for his wife. Now, this was unheard of for a good Catholic in that time, in that place. Unheard of. The next morning, to everyone's surprise, the woman sat up in bed for the first time. It was a miracle. Within a few short days, she was completely healed. She was back to normal. She was herself. And the entire family recognized that she had been snatched from the jaws of death. She was going to die and was now completely healed, and they were overjoyed. But no one else celebrated with them. Their neighbors and friends thought they had gone crazy. To leave the Catholic Church in that time period and in that place was unforgivable. The family became a disgrace for for the community. A complete disgrace. It was shameful. It was, in fact, so bad that one of their neighbors came over and threatened the grandfather, saying, if you didn't have kids, I'd beat you to death. Now, that's hard for us to imagine in this day and in this place, but that's what happened in 1930 in this small prairie town. And like the man in our story today, the Pharisees can't accept the healing that's taken place. They cannot accept Jesus and his gift to the blind man. They end up interrogating this poor guy three times, and his parents once. They can't accept Jesus. You might call it willful blindness, choosing to see only what they want to see. Do you see the irony here? Do you see the tragedy? Of all people, the Pharisees knew the scriptures that when the Messiah came, he would open the eyes of the blind. They knew that the Messiah would be the light of the world. They had all the knowledge, all the influence, all the respect, all the heritage, and yet they were blind. They had become comfortable. They had become self-satisfied. They had lost their hunger for God. Their knowledge, in fact, had blinded them. Their hearts are not open, but closed. And so they can't see what's plainly in front of them. Or better said, who's plainly in front of them? Jesus, the light of the world, has come into our world. You know, psychologists who deal with the study of perception refer to a phenomenon called habituation. Uh, This is the idea that when a new object, object or stimulus is introduced into our environment, at first we're intensely aware of it. But over time, our awareness of it fades. So for instance, think if you're not used to wearing a watch and someone buys you one and you start to wear it, as you wear it, you you really feel it on your wrist. You're aware of it, right? I remember going to visit uh, my friend's parents for the very first time years ago, and I was being shown around their home. And as we stepped into one room, I noticed painter's tape along, along the ceiling. No doubt uh, they were in the process of painting, and that tape was there to keep from the paint from the ceiling bleeding down onto the wall. Curiously, however, every time I visited that same home for the next 10 years, the painter's tape was still on the wall. They had never completed the painting project, or if they did, they simply left out the paint and slowly stopped, or the painter's tape, and and slowly stopped seeing it. They had become habituated. Now, I cast no judgment. I do this all the time. Um, We have a little chip out of our paint on one of our kitchen cupboards. And it chipped off, I don't know, a number of months ago. And at first, it drove me crazy. All I had to do was go downstairs Get a bit of our touch-up paint, pull it out, paint the little nick, and I wouldn't worry about it. But guess what? I never did it. And I don't even see the chip hardly anymore. I've become completely habituated. Author and pastor John Ortberg uh, writes this. He says, one of the greatest challenges in life is fighting what might be called spiritual habituation. We simply drift into acceptance in life in this spiritual habituation or spiritual maintenance mode. We coast. We become overly comfortable. We rationalize because we think, I'm not involved in any major scandalous sin. I haven't done anything to jeopardize getting into heaven. I'm doing okay. As if Jesus came to say, I have come that you might be okay. Maybe okay is not okay. Jesus seems to say elsewhere in Scripture that it's this or it's that. You're either hot or you're cold. Do not be lukewarm. We spew out lukewarm. Maybe for us, our blindness is actually spiritual laziness. Maybe our blindness is that we've become complacent. Maybe we've lost our wonder of God, this creator of the entire universe. Maybe we're just simply on spiritual autopilot. Do you no longer hunger for God or rarely see your need of him in your life? Spiritual habituation in some ways is more dangerous than spiritual depravity because it can be so subtle and so gradual that I simply go spiritually blind. I can no longer see. I wonder today if there's maybe a little more snow and frost on our windshield clouding our view than we would care to admit. Maybe you're listening today and you've prayed to accept Christ into your life and thought, okay, now I'm okay, I'm good but you're not actually actively seeking and following Jesus, and consequently, you're slowly becoming blind. Or maybe you're listening today, and you're not even a follower of Jesus, but somehow you've tuned in, and you know that you're stumbling around in the dark, and you need someone, something, maybe a person, Jesus, to heal you. You know, Jesus says in John 9 verse 5, I am the light of the world. And the question that we're left with today is, do I believe it? Do I believe it? There are two clear responses to this question from the text. One party in the story knows they're blind, admits it, responds to Jesus, and are healed of their blindness, and they follow the light of the world. The other party in the story resists. They refuse to accept their blindness. They turn in judgment and they remain confident in their own standing and in their own knowledge. Who are you today? Which one are you today? Do you know your blindness and readily admit it? You know, the good news is Jesus still seeks the blind. Jesus still heals the blind. And if we're simply willing to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, I am the light of the world. And we admit that we cannot see without him. And we ask him to open our blind eyes. He will break through our blindness. Jesus says in another portion of scripture, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Do you want that light today? Let's pray together. Jesus, we need you. Some of us are are very much like the religious people in this story. And we've been refusing to admit that you are the light of the world and that we need you, that we have gone blind. Jesus, would you forgive us as we pray to you now? Open our eyes. Help us to have a deep longing for you to open our eyes and that we would run toward the light of the world. And God, some of us today may be tuning in and really don't know you. Maybe are hearing of you for the very first time. And you welcome each of these people with open arms. And if that's you today, you can move from blindness to light by simply praying this prayer. Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are. Come into my life. Forgive my sin. Take away my blindness and let me see you, Jesus, the light of the world. Thank you. Thank you, O great light of the world. Make us more like you. We need you. We pray this in your name. Amen. And if you are tuning in today and you prayed that prayer for the very first time, let me know. I would love to know. J at redwoodpark.ca. Shoot me an email. I'd love to walk alongside you and be praying for you. Let's continue to worship today.